This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have the NBC News broadcast of December 15, 1941, as the country prepares for war following the attack on Pearl Harbor. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us to continue to produce the podcast, and thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening, enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. Japan made the attack on the, Philipp- on the Hawaiian Islands on Sunday, December 7th with submarines as well as airplanes. That was Sunday, December 7th. Japanese envoys were still making peace overtures in Washington three hours and 40 minutes after that attack began. And the United States Navy communique number 10 is just in. Enemy operations over the island of Luzon in the Philippines continue. Operations on the ground are continuing in Manila and northwest sections of Luzon and in the vicinity of Ligaspi in southeastern Luzon. There is nothing of importance in other areas as of 9.30 a.m. today. So says the United States Navy communique number 10 just in. This is the NBC Newsroom. A special message to the Congress in which the President placed on the records the events leading up to our war in the Pacific, for all history to read in amazement, in sorrow, in disgust. Those are the President's words. In that record, the President sets down the chronology of Japan's perfidious peace negotiations with us, those suave smiles and honeyed words that exploded with a bang Sunday, December the 7th, at Pearl Harbor. The history highlights the deterioration of peace in the Pacific through the visit of Special Envoy Kurusu, on Sunday, December the 7th, an hour after the Japs had struck at our base in Hawaii, Kurusu and Ambassador Nomura were in the State Department, delivering a message to Secretary Hull, a message that was full of expressions of peaceful ties. The message from the Japanese government said that the Japanese emperor himself had long cherished the desire for the establishment of peace in the Pacific. An hour before, Japanese planes and undersea craft had struck, and at least 1,500 Americans were dead and as many more were injured there in Hawaii. Incidentally, that's the first time we've known that the Japs used submarines as well as planes in their attack. The attack began at 1.20 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. The two Japanese envoys were at the State Department with their message, and then three hours later, and this is a new disclosure too, three hours later, the Japanese premier himself telephoned Ambassador Gru, our man in Tokyo, that he wished to express for the Emperor of Japan his gratefulness for the cordial message from the President of the United States. And by that time, Hawaii was counting her dead and wounded. In the President's words, there is the record for all history to read in amazement, in sorrow, in horror, and in disgust. And the President adds, we are now at war. We are fighting in self-defense. We are fighting in the defense of principles of law and order and justice against an effort of unprecedented ferocity to overthrow those principles and to impose upon humanity a regime of ruthless domination by unrestricted and arbitrary force. 
The President also sent to Congress his message on Lend-Lease Aid, reporting that such aid to the 33 countries who are America's allies totaled nearly one and a third billion dollars through November 30th. A little less than half of that amount represents actual exports. The total amount voted is 13 billions, approved by Congress to date. And the President announced today also that he had nominated Major General Henry H. Arnold, Chief of the Army Air Forces, for temporary promotion to the rank of Lieutenant General. General Arnold's name heads a list of 15 officers sent to the Senate by the President and recommended by him for advancement. The Secretary of the Navy, Knox, he's just returned from Hawaii, has promised to make a statement this afternoon, and NBC will bring news of that statement to you just as soon as it's available. And the War Department issued communique number 10, saying that air operations over the island of Luzon in the Philippines and ground operations there were in progress over three sections of the island. The communique said that there was nothing to report from other areas. The House Naval Affairs Committee has passed a naval construction program calling for only 150,000 tons. At first, the Navy had asked for 900,000 tons, but Chairman Vinson of the House Naval Committee says the figure was cut at the request of the Navy itself. Vinson says the House cut eliminates all plans to build battleships, at least for the present. But Vinson added, this does not mean we're abandoning the idea of battleships. It just takes longer to build them. Secretary of State Hull has refused to make any comment on declarations of war against the United States, which have been made by Romania, Hungary, and Bulgaria. Hull says they're too contemptible to warrant serious comment. Competent observers in London say that the Japanese may already have cut across the Malay Peninsula north of Singapore and reached the sea on the other side. That would sever land communications between Singapore and British Burma to the north, if it is true. Japanese attacks on Hong Kong are forcing the British back to the defense of the island itself, the Japs have set up big guns in captured Kowloon, Hong Kong's section on the mainland of China. The British say withdrawals are according to plan, however, and the Chinese are still ripping at the Japanese flank and rear from the mainland, trying to relieve the British. In Malaya, the British acknowledge that the Japanese gained some ground, but the situation in that jungle country is described as confused. In Russia, the Soviets are still driving the Germans back, turning their gains all the way from Leningrad to the Black Sea into a general offensive. And that's all from the NBC newsroom. We take you now to San Francisco. For this morning's Far Eastern story, we take you now to Batavia. Ladies and gentlemen, we regret that we cannot contact Batavia at this time, but here's the latest Far Eastern news from the San Francisco newsroom. The War Department in Washington said today that enemy air operations continued over Luzon and the Philippines and ground operations were in progress in the three sections of the island. A brief communique said there was little to report from other areas, omitting mention of Hawaii and the United States Pacific Coast for the first time in several days. Outlining the military situation, the communique said, The Philippine theater that enemy air operations over the island of Luzon continue. Operations on the ground are continuing in the north and northwest sections of Luzon, and the vicinity of Legaspi in southeastern Luzon. There's nothing to report from the other areas. The ground operations mentioned presumably were near Apari on the northern shore of Luzon, where Japanese troops made a landing early in the invasion, and it began some 200 miles north of Manila on the west coast where the Japanese have gained another foothold. The landing made at Legaspi about 220 air miles from Manila late last week was affected without opposition, the War Department disclosed. U.S. bombers and Dutch submarines made the strategic South China Sea a zone of deadly peril for Japan, chalking up a week's bag of ten enemy transport or supply ships sunk and five more badly battered. 
The small marine garrison of Wake Island continues to hold out against Japanese assaults. The Navy announced two additional Japanese air raids on the tiny island outpost, cost the attackers two planes, and caused only inconsequential damage on the island. Japanese submarines are known to be operating in Hawaiian waters, the Navy said, adding that vigorous attacks are being made against them. Batavia had its seventh air raid alarm of the war when an unidentified bomber was sighted, but as in the previous cases, no aerial attack materialized. In San Francisco, 26 persons, the first civilians to arrive from Hawaii since the unprovoked Jap bombing that began the war a week ago Sunday, guarded their remarks today after arriving by Clipper Plain. The 2,200-mile trip from the islands was uneventful. Morale is very good, reported Captain J.H. Tilton, pilot of the Clipper. Everybody is good and mad, and the blackouts are very black. Los Angeles traffic officers today were ordered to stop all cars with headlights dimmed with colored paint and cellophane. In issuing the order banning the colored lights, Deputy Chief B.R. Caldwell declared that in the event of a blackout warning, motorists must pull off the highway and switch off the lights. Thousands of motorists either painted their headlights or colored them with cellophane after Los Angeles' first blackout. Now to get off the war for just a moment, football officials on the West Coast are trying to figure out today... What to do about the Rose Bowl game between Duke and Oregon State and the East-West game, both canceled for this region on New Year's Day. Definite suggestions have been made for the playing of the contests in other cities, but so far, no arrangements have been made. Now, this is NBC San Francisco Newsroom. We take you now to Washington. This is Morgan Beatty in Washington. President Roosevelt has centered the attention of the Capitol on critical problems of the future by the simple expedient of reporting to Congress on the progress of Lend-Lease Aid. As Don Goddard has told you, we have appropriated some 13 billions of dollars for aid to the Allies. But we have spent only a billion and a quarter of that, and up to November the 30th, we have been able to ship out only a half billion dollars worth of products. This report should have a sobering effect. It really tells us much more than the bare figures would indicate. It reveals that translating the will of Congress and the people from money into actual things is not a simple task. Few of us realize the fact that spending government money is a curiously complex job. It simply cannot be done rapidly, and it never has been done rapidly. The reasons for this are many. First, Congress writes restrictions on spending into such laws as the Lend-Lease Law. Second, government agencies, including the Treasury, are restricted by law in the way they may issue money orders and permits. These are all checks to curb the spending scandals that have inevitably occurred in the past when large pork barrels have been opened. Besides all these pieces of necessary red tape, there is the larger question of production, that is, getting the Lend-Lease material manufactured, put in packages, and aboard ships bound for Lend-Lease countries. When we think of things like this, we usually think of dollars being spent and immediately going out in the form of products. We must remember that haste often must be made slowly, and spending a billion dollars worth of the taxpayer's money is a task requiring sweat and work and toil and time. It is not the flip of the wrist. Of vast import in the immediate future are the statements the president made when he transmitted this third Lend-Lease report to Congress at noon. Most significant is this paragraph. We are engaged in a total war against a group of Axis powers led by Nazi Germany and bet on world domination. Their strategy is worldwide. Ours also must be worldwide. That's the end of the paragraph. 
Reflected in that statement is the knowledge of our high command that Japan's attack on us is a part of the Axis strategy. In other words, the Axis has developed some system as yet undisclosed to handle mutual problems and to control mutual policies and strategy. In short, they are using some sort of Axis high command. It may well be, and I am not reporting any inside stuff because I don't have any, but it may well be that the President is acknowledging in that paragraph the future need of the Allies for some central board of strategy, an Allied high command. Only it is quite obvious that a restricted military high command like the one of World War Days will not be sufficient. No General Foch can keep all the threads of total war in his hands nor even in his mind. It is physically impossible. Any high command designed to fit this war must have all kinds of struggles in mind, economic, military, diplomatic, propaganda, for this is a war on all fronts. The President's Lend-Lease message today also raises again the question of aid to Russia. Since we are now at war with the whole axis, we are committed to aid all our allies. But at the same time, we must arm ourselves adequately. Any government that fails to give our armed forces what they need as promptly as possible would be in a dangerous position in a short time. And yet, as the president points out, we must let Britain, Russia, and China, and other nations use the weapons from the arsenal of democracy so they can be put to the most effective use. There's the heart of the problem, the most effective use. Who is going to say who gets what aid first? A central board of strategy would give the best answer. But at the moment, there is no such allied board or command. Doubtless, the Axis powers thought of that when they decided the time was ripe for the attack on the United States. For we must now decide where we're going to place our limited war production. Limited because our industrial machine is not yet rolling all out for war. In this connection, observers here are keeping Russia high on the list. The Russians are holding the large bulk of the German army on their front. They have suffered the most in this war. In view of this fact, it is reasoned by close observers that Russian morale needs a boost this winter. Not a mere gesture of help, but a real industrial shot in the arm that will prepare the Russian army and people for a fight to come next spring. Unquestionably, these things are crowding in the background here, and they played their part today when the President told Congress that our strategy must be worldwide and we must continue to aid the Allies and we must put that aid where it will do the most good. Strong signs are appearing on the military strategy front in the capital. The watchword seems to be accent on air strategy. The president has just nominated Major General Henry H. Arnold, the chief of the Army Air Forces, for a temporary promotion to the rank of lieutenant general. Arnold's name headed a list of 15 officers whose names have just been sent to the Senate for advancement. Up on Capitol Hill, the House Naval Affairs Committee has voted to add another 150,000 tons to our two-ocean Navy which is still largely in a blueprint stage. But when the bill was originally drawn a week ago, it called for a naval increase of 900,000 tons. The Navy itself has come forward to cut down the tonnage. Chairman Vinson of the House says there are new, no new battleships in this bill, but it takes a long time to build battleships. The chairman apparently wants to scotch hysterical thinking about naval strategy, thinking based on the confirmed destruction of four capital ships in the first week of the Battle of the Pacific. We can conclude from all this that the Navy may be revising its building program, but we can't tell just how yet. That's all for now. NBC is brought to you up to the minute on the news.
You have heard Don Goddard speaking from New York, late news from San Francisco, and Morgan Beatty from Washington. This is the National Broadcasting Company. From 10 to 11 tonight, there will be broadcast the most important program celebrating the Bill of Rights. And during the program, President Roosevelt will deliver an address. Be sure to listen. WEAF, New York. Secretary Knox says that the United States Navy lost six vessels, 91 officers were killed and 20 officers wounded. The enlisted men casualties were 2,600 killed and 630 wounded. Japanese material losses were three submarines, one of which was captured, and 41 aircraft. The losses to the Navy included the battleship Arizona, the old target ship, the Utah, and three destroyers, the Cassian, C-A-S-S-I-A-N, the Downs, D-O-W-N-E-S, and the Shaw. A mine layer, the Oglala, O-G-L-A-L-A. In regard to fifth column activities, the secretary said, they're the most effective fifth column activities of the war with the exception of Norway. Secretary of the Navy also declared that the United States military services in Honolulu and in Pearl Harbor were not on the alert against the surprise attack by the Japanese. This report came to you from the NBC Newsroom.